Hello and welcome to Law Implications episode. I have no idea what number because uh, we don't quite agree with our editor on uh, exactly how we number these things. I would call it episode 2.5. It might well turn out to be episode 5. Um, Let's call it episode um, follow-up fantasy lore. Yes. Yes. <laughs> That'll work. <laughs> last episode was about Warhammer fantasy and the universe surrounding it. And uh, here we're following up with a few of the things we didn't manage to quite talk about last time within the allotted time. Uh, hopefully, uh, this won't be, uh, be as long as the last one because we don't really have all that much left to talk about. And we have some chaos. Sure we do. Uh, well, that depends on how, how much we can stretch end times lore. And chaos law. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Well, either way, it's going to be mostly chaos for now. Yeah, pretty much. And in the, in its healthy mix of Bretonia, which is something uh, of a nation of knights. We talked a bit of about the, them. Furian legend and a lot of that. Yes. We mentioned it, I believe, in passing. Yeah, we did mention that they were sort of pseudo-French-English Arthurian knights. Uh, yes. Very much so. Mm. So, ca- uh, chaos. Uh, we mentioned. We started by mentioning that in the last se- uh, session as well. Uh, but chaos, as a uh, reminder, is a force that came upon the Warhammer world in uh, more or less the after the forming of the world by the old ones great uh, transient beings that uh, shaped the world to what it is, or was rather, but they they came upon the world when uh, their uh, polar gates collapsed, and all, all this magic spilled out over the planets. Chaos itself is um, partially part of magic, in in a way, it's not exactly it, but Demons and the Chaos Gods themselves reside within uh, the um, realm of Chaos, which is a subpart of the realms of magic. Now, the Chaos itself has, of course, a number of gods. Some are greater than others, so let's start with the Major Gods, which count to four in the Old World. They count to six later, in, in the coming of Age of Sigmar, and the passing of the end times. But for now, there's only four, which include the blood god, Korn, who is, um, by all means, one of the most um, powerful of the four gods, and uh, is represented by slaughter, warfare, and martial prowess and challenges, who absolutely despises uh, subtlety, trickery, and magic. There's also the god of uh, disease and pestilence, who's called Nurgle. Or Great uh, Father it, Nurgle. Yeah, more or less the quintessential representation of rebirth and morbidity. Yeah. He represents death as much as he represents life. Because More what is less. disease, if not life? 
In another form. At yes. Point, but... In another form. It's also deaf at the same time. Mm-hmm. Well, that's Nurgle. <laughs> it, it, it's sort of weird. Mm-hmm. Because while Korn is re- uh, uh, presented as this angry, uh, bloodthirsty god of warfare and murdering everything... Nurgle is presented as a loving father figure. In a way. In a way. A very disturbed way. But um, those two are half of the cast for great chaos gods. The third is Siege, who carries the title of Changer Wings. He is the god of magic. He is the god of trickery. And he's usually presented as always scheming. In this great labyrinth that is his domain. But he has a plan for everything. Even his plans failing. And even his plans, 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 plans failing. Yes. Um, uh, Even he... (sighs) It's weird, because he can see the future. He knows everything that is going to be... But he also does not. It's a bit weird. Magic. That's all I have to say. Magic, yeah. Then there's the god called Slanesh, who's a bit of an uh, a bit of a weird one compared to the three others, because he's the god of pleasure and excess. Most he is mostly he's just the god of excess. Yeah, everything is excessive when it comes uh, to sluggish. One could uh, one could argue that where uh, where corn is uh, represents the actions you take on the battlefield and uh, how you how a warrior represents himself through his skills. Slanesh uh, represents the often chilling glee that some people take in the harming of others and themselves, for that matter. Yes. So, in a way, you could say that slaughter, war, and uh, blood spilling mm. might very well represent corn, but excessively needless blood spilling may very well represent slanesh. Yeah. At the same time, it is not. It is not uncommon for followers followers of Slanesh to like stand over a dead body and chop it uh, chop it into smaller pieces before moving on to another living target. Uh, yeah. So. Something that followers of corn generally do not. Yeah, because they are happy when the skull is severed or when uh, the person is clearly dead. And more, and more <laughs> so, they are happy when they're, when their when their opponent is actually fighting back. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas Slanesh followers are very likely to jump on innocent, uh, defenseless creatures. Mm. That said, Slanesh's followers are, and Slanesh himself, itself, I should say, is yeah. most often portrayed as uh, pleasure indulgers in excessive ways. Mm. If there's anywhere in the Warhammer universe where you're going to find a BDSM suit, that's where. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. And that, that's that's definitely not a quip at 
no. the BDSM community. No, no. <laughs> uh, no uh, these four are the primary Chaos Gods. There are a few others that we won't really bother mentioning now we have mentioned there's great, a myriad of others. Uh, we, we've we've mentioned uh, we've mentioned the two uh, others that will eventually become like a, a set part of the greater pa- uh, pantheon, but uh, the Skaven's great horned rat and the chaos dwarves has should. Uh, but yes, in general, uh, these four are like the core of chaos gods. Definitely, they they are very much the core of. Warhammer Fantasy prior mm. to the Age of Sigma, mm. and it should be said in law that if they are supposedly um, they they supposedly have diametrical opposites that are also chaos gods, but we've never actually been given names for these entities. Where so so Corn uh, being the uh, god of slaughter and martial uh, warfare would have a, 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 a some kind of god that, that works uh, or that. Uh, represents pre- uh, preservation and uh, yeah, protection. I suppose would be uh, would be the opposites there. Um, Indeed. Yeah. And uh, an opposite to slanesh, which re- represents moderation. <laughs> yeah, moderation and conservatism. <laughs> uh, <laughs> to see, uh, I don't know what the uh, what the. Uh, Opposite of magic would be uh, originally. I would have thought that corn uh, and Tassinj would be would have been the op- uh, opposing forces, but apparently they are. Generally, no, they they are generally just seen as um, antagonists to one another, yes. but they are not mirrored no. or uh, in any way, shape, or form. Oh, Nurgle is also a weird one. Mm. How to represent this? He, he is a duality. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, so what? Uh, his, his again, no, uh, no real information exists on this other than the fact that he has a diametrically uh, op- uh, opposed uh, entity to himself. So, uh, seeing, seeing he represents uh, life and death in one, then perhaps there we uh, we will see someone who uh, who. Represents like statusism, like the the status quo when there's no life or death. Stagnation. Yes. So. Yay. But yeah. Um, those those are still the four main chaos gods, mm-hmm. and it, like all of the chaos armies, the the ones that are com- consist of, uh, you know, human warriors and big, almost space mariney uh, armor. Well, those are the chosen, but so not all Chaos Warriors, um, but some of them. Uh, the original Space Marines. Uh, yes, <laughs> yes. The original Space Marines before they had jetpacks equipped. Yes, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> no, the uh, Chaos Chosen, uh, each are part of, uh, well, clans that usually are dedicated to one particular god. So we have uh, clans of uh, Chaos Warriors dedicated to Slanesh and other clans dedicated to Tsinge and some dedicated to Korn. The... More akin to cults, really. They, they, yeah, cults. Uh, but we do have, we do see these Norsemen, the, uh, the human tribes that live closest to the Chaos Wastes. Almost all mm-hmm. of them are Chaos worshippers, because there's nothing else up there to worship, at least if you want to live. 
uh, or have a in some way, here. shape, or form, at least. Mm. The the great majority of the Norse tribes are actually just followers of chaos, not the particular chaos gods. Typically, their uh, their clan leaders do, uh, and uh, potential witch doctors or whatever, uh, shaman and sorcerers, sorcerers, they do uh, they do worship some uh, or one one of the gods. It's very often that you see a clan leader so uh, sudden, uh, suddenly taking up the mantle of a chosen of chaos, and then so, uh, suddenly you see him amassing an army under that banner from the neighboring clans. Definitely, mm. but that, that is still to say rather. that it, it, it's not too uncommon for uh, worshippers of the dark gods to quite simply just worship chaos as a pantheon rather than one simple simple god, one single god. Mm. That they pay equal respect to all of the chaos gods in uh, their whatever twisted way they might mm-hmm. want. Of course, we also have the so-called chaos undivided, which is when all of the four chaos gods are actually having their armies work together in a, as a single one, or, the, or at least the leaders of this particular ar- army have the blessings of all four chaos gods. That's not quite the same. Chaos in undivided is when uh, the gods of chaos are seen as a pantheon mm. together. Mm. When you have all four blessings of the dark gods, that's when you become Archon. Oh, the <laughs> ever-chosen. Yes. 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 Archaon, I should say. Yeah, close enough. Besides, Lord of the End Times. Besides, there are so many ever-chosen. <laughs> Far more than I, than I thought. Yes. Yes. We did mention one of them in our, when we finished off talking about uh, the Empire and Sigma last episode. The formation of the Empire, yeah. I guess. But, um, yeah. There's been a lot of ever-chosen and lords of the end times. Mm. Because, after all, Chaos has tried to destroy the world or whatever since the beginning of time. Close enough, at any rate. Chaos itself is, though, um, primarily consisting of uh, the Norse tribes. Mm. Other than that, it's, of course, Beastmen. We mentioned those. Minotaurs and uh, Ogre Dragon Things. I can't remember the names of those. They are simply Shock called drag, uh, dragon, uh, dragon Ogres. Shockoffs are the large ones. Among ah, yes, of course. Uh, of course. But Beastmen, uh, simply described Beastmen. Mm. Men that are beasts, and then they uh, they have <laughs> classifications within themselves. They uh, they are the so-called gores, which are uh, the ones that look a lot like goat men. And then there's ungors, yeah. which are uh, which are the ones that have like bigger. No, <laughs> ungors are actually the ones that look almost human-like and only have a few. All right. Uh, and then I think I I can't remember what the the bigger goat men uh, are called, but they also have like gore in their name, of course. Um, Big Gore. <laughs> Big Gore. Uh, <laughs> no, I can't remember either. No. But there, there's a huge variety of goatmen in the Beastmen. They are. Armies. They are also fond of hiring trolls. Uh, yes. And giants. Mm-hmm. And even better, um, if they said trolls and giants are chaos trolls and chaos giants, but they 
aren't always. Not always, but they usually tend to become when mingling mm. with beastmen. Yes. And chaos giants are certainly not something beautiful to look at. Uh, other, other than that, I suppose we could, in this weird way, count dark elves as dark god worshippers. Not really. Well, it's sort of because the the pleasure, uh, the, the cult of pleasure, did start out as a you know uh, worshiping slash, yeah. or uh, admittedly not 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 directly, but to a degree. Yeah, but that, that's why they're, they're technically not worshippers of the Dark Gods, because they don't outright state it. Hmm. But they do a lot of questionable things. And they, <laughs> and they do also dedicate a lot of what they do to Cain as the only elven god that they really worship in any sense or form. Who shares a lot of domains with Korn. Exactly, so there's something there that could be argued for as well. Mm-hmm. And, oh, here we go. Uh, most gores are called uh, are either Capri gores, which are the goatmen, or Bowie gores, which are more bull-like. And essentially, when they grow larger, they become minotaurs. Ah, well then. Yes. How was it? <laughs> Minogores. No, Bowie gores. <laughs> <laughs> minotaurs are still just called minotaurs. Yeah, this is true. Yeah, uh, and ungors are like. These small uh, humanoid things that might have a horn or two or, or hooves, but otherwise pretty human. Beastly features in general. Yeah. See, other other forces of chaos and dark god worshippers? Chaos of dwarves. Of course, the chaos dwarves. That's an obvious choice. They even have chaos in them. Mm-hmm. Uh, we chaos have... dwarves are very much like normal dwarves. They have a penchant for engineering, and uh, they their engineering is the a bit only more difference between. Yeah, it is, is a bit weirder, more magic That's based, a, really. Yeah, and the the key difference between chaos dwarves and regular dwarves is that chaos dwarves very much are capable of using magic. Yes, in a way. In a way. In a way. <laughs> Something that they are absolutely certain of that that their god Hashid is the one giving them the ability to do. Yeah. But otherwise, as we mentioned last time, the the dwarves can only use rune magic because they have have no connection to the chaos that allows them to actually weave the winds of magic. Otherwise, Mm -hmm. as uh, when rune magic was discovered... One of the dwarves' gods, or rather, their their primary goddess, uh, cast some protection magic that completely severed their bond with the winds of magic, allowing them to only use runes. Definitely. So, certainly, chaos dwarves can use magic, mm. but you won't see a chaos dwarven sorcerer flinging fireballs. <laughs> the regular way, they have their own special means of using magic, like. Dwarves. Dwarves. Other than engineering, though, another key difference of Chaos Dwarves and Normal Dwarves is that Chaos Dwarves really enjoy not to do the work for themselves, but rather slaving others to do the work for them. Mm. 
And this can be anything. Anything at all. From anything at all from building machinery to um, operating machinery or becoming fuel for the machinery. Anything works. <laughs> <laughs> In that sense, they are sort of like the Skaven. In a way, who are also dark god worshippers of their own kind. Yeah. They don't follow any of the four primary gods, similar to the Chaos Wolves, but they have their own god. The Great, Great Horned Rat. Yes, and they will, of course, as they say in uh, Skaven uh, speak, uh, they will fear worship him until uh, until the end times is upon them, and they did. And he did send, uh, oh, what are they they called? Vermin Lords, I believe. Uh, avatars. Yes, his avatars, his avatars are called Vermin Lords. Down to just, mm-hmm. you know, sort of, sort of show that he cares about his subjects. Of course, the Vermin Lords take over a ton of Skaven and eat them as, because they need energy. And <laughs> Skaven live in close proximity to Warpstone, which is the energy source of the Roman Lord. So there we go. Friendly fellow. Also being the very stuff of chaos. Yeah. <laughs> Literally rocks made of chaos. Mm, energy. Like chaos. Uh, yeah. <laughs> which is... Which, yeah, which is weird, but chaos itself is full of these strange references to its... Uh, uh, weirdness. Paradoxes. Yeah. <laughs> Finally, perhaps the only thing we haven't really mentioned, and yet we have, are the demons of chaos, which is like yes. it, it's a, its own little subsection of, uh, of chaos worshippers of a sort. Uh, no, not, they, they're they, not worshippers. They, they're they don't direct quite, servants. They, they're direct servants, but uh, which is also. To, uh, subservience could also uh, arguably be seen as a type of worship, but yes, they serve the chaos gods and are typically allow- allowed onto the battlefield in order to assist, uh, assist the chosen of any given god. And of course, the various gods have their own versions of chaos demons. Yeah, who generally uh, represent the different ideals or images of the gods themselves. Mm. For instance, you won't see a corn demon using magic. No. That is not happening. No. You're also not going to see a siege demon take on someone in a friendly bout of fisticuffs. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, you won't. Uh, similarly, we have uh, we have something that could be considered uh, transformed Humanoids, uh, when we look at Slanesh demons, because they look more humanoid in general, uh, to pair with the pleasure and uh, debauchery part of his uh, domain. Whereas with uh, Tashinj, we have so uh, we have things that are, are barely any fixed shape because he is the Lord of Change. So they constantly warp and mold themselves to look different. Barely have any, mm-hmm. any such shape, with a few exceptions. Indeed. Now, important demons of note are greater demons. Hmm. Vermin lords that we mentioned are greater demons. Avatars 
in a way, of the Dark Gods. So we have the Greater Demons of Korra, who are called Bloodthirsters. Large, usually red, bloodthirsty things. They will kill you. We have the uh, Great Unclean Ones, who are the Greater Demons of Nurgle, which more or less just look like big blobs of decaying meat and decay in general. Yeah, for those of you who've seen The Nightmare Before Christmas, consider Oogie Boogie. And then, just consider uh. consider him being about five times larger than he actually is, and bursting, uh, bursting at the seams with uh, various fluids and not just bugs, but also bugs. Um... And, of course, being made of putrid flesh rather than a, uh, yeah, linen sack. There you go. Indeed. There's no boogeyman here, there's demons. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, Seems... uh, His greater demons are weird. They are not uh, like his uh, lesser demons, ever-changing. And uh, Seems things generally take on a very Egyptian theme. Mm. So, of course... The greater demons of Tsinch are giant birdmen with robes. And wings. <laughs> uh, yes, that was implied with birdmen. Not all birdmen have wings. This is true. But they have wings. That said, they can have a number of arms that can differ. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Usually. In, and some things usually do differ. Then we have the greater demons of Slanesh, which look like big crabby versions of his lesser demons. They are more or or less the same, just bigger. So, the Slanish demons in general tend to look a lot like humanoids. Now it's just bigger humanoids with stranger things. Mm -hmm. Like spiky leather skin and crab claws. (laughs) <laughs> typically, uh, typically keepers of secrets, as these great demons are called, uh, t- they tend to have four arms at the very least: a set of regular arms, and then a set of yeah, the, yeah, arms that end in giant crab claws, or something else. Yes, they are also they like stingers or whatever. Also tentacles, because it, this is mm-hmm. it is a slanesh we're talking about. Yes, we will uh, include every kind of excessive. Uh, imagination mm-hmm. of any kind when we talk about Slanesh. Yes. And that includes tentacles. Yeah. <laughs> Oddly enough, there are no schoolgirls to be found. We can assume they were eaten. Mm-hmm. Both literally and figuratively. <laughs> <laughs> <coughs> yes. Anyway, yes. anyway, uh, did, did we miss any of the dark... God's uh, subjects. We I have the demons, and I don't think, think there's. So, no, we, no we've already... I don't think there's any that are worth mentioning mm. as being greatly a set, a group of worshippers for the dark gods. I think. So, I suppose we could partially talk about uh, Clan Pestilence of the Skaven because they. Worship the horned rat, but they also have like partial worship or whatever you want to. Uh, they they they've been seen working together with Nurgle worshippers before because those two are uh, they they pretty much have the same approach to 
things. Working with they diseases. are closely related. Mm. Uh, clan pestilence, Skaven don't have the exact same ideals as an Urgle worshipper would. I mean, clan pestilence is just about uh, spreading diseases and mm. horrible death <coughs> to their enemies. But they're not there. Yeah, they're, they're not so very. They don't have the duality of life and death. It's just death. Mm. But they still uh, they still observe some of the tenets of the cults surrounding Nurgle, specifically because of the access to various new diseases that uh, that gives them. Yeah, of course, it's generally beneficial for them, mm. and um, there's some benefit for Nurgle too to cooperate with. Skaven. Yeah, because the Skaven are capable of being uh, of spreading these new diseases faster than his own followers because of those uh, the various ways they have of moving about underground. Yeah, exactly. Which is, after all, one of his aspects. He spreads diseases. Yeah. <laughs> he grants his gift to his children. I think that's enough for a like a basic understanding of the various. Uh, chaos-related things you can find in factions and entities. Yes, in fantasy. Warhammer fantasy, that is. Yes. Next up. So, next up is, of course, a good skip back into morality and not so much of the decadence. (laughs) Bretonia. Yes. Which we mentioned being a uh, sort of faction of pseudo-French, pseudo-English Arthurian knights mm. and orders, knightly orders of many kinds mm. and trebuchets and peasants. <laughs> yeah, uh, like Bretonia was uh, founded when a single knight was approached by a woman or spirit referred to as the Lady of the Lake. And, not unlike Arthurian myth, he was given a sword that was to, meant to represent his right to rule. And originally, the domain of, that uh, would later become Bretonia was like a, a ton of small city-states that just had tentative alliances and otherwise weren't really united. But he changed that. I can't recall his name if we ever actually uh, get his name. Um, Generally, he's just referred to as the Green Knight. Ah, yes. The Green Knight. The Green Knight is also the... Should we call it... He's also also a mythological figure to the uh, Bretonians. uh, Since he's actually more of a... um, He's more of an avatar of the Lady of the Lake than he if he is an actual uh knight anymore he he he, he shows himself to people who are seeking the grail that the lady of the lake is supposed to hold in order to be, uh, become fully fledged knights that can uh, that can live in uh, or try to replicate the original quest that uh, ended up with Bretonia being formed Oh yes, his name was Gilles Le Breton. Yeah, that is true. 
That is indeed very true. Yeah. But he does go under the moniker of the Green Knight. Yes. Until the end times. Yeah. And let's see it. They are split up into, I believe, 13 or 14 smaller provinces, towns. Perhaps the most, at least if you ask me, the the two most prominent areas would be Musillon and Aquitaine. Basically because I, I'm personally very... Uh, I played a lot of vampire camps back in the day, so... Musillon, <laughs> it, was, it was one of the first towns to be plagued by Skaven, and they spread a disease that then left it completely dead with, with, with a few zombies rising here and there. But otherwise, it's... Don't touch. Just steer clear. For the rest of Bretonia. Aquitaine... Mm. It'll sort sort of fit in with uh, what we'll talk about a bit later about the other human nations, where there was a well, they they also had their own crusades in the Warhammer world, where Bretonian knights were sent to Araby, which is basically yeah, Arabia. I wonder how that mm-hmm. could be. And they uh, they were sent down to uh, to beat back the forces of Sultan Jafar. <laughs> uh, there's no Aladdin involved, sadly. No, no, there's no Aladdin involved. Anyway, the then Count of Aquitaine was struck down by a, an enemy assailant in some way, and he became sick from his wounds. Was sent back home when they thought he died. And somehow he got better. He was a bit pale after he got better, but he got better. Until the point in time where suddenly every single guard in his castle was undead, and, you know, he ruled the remaining survivors with an iron hand, and everything around Aquitaine just turned into (laughs) dead forest and grass and everything dead. Generally, just good times. Yeah. It actually, and actually, he uh, he has only ever been beaten, and this is a guy that has managed to resurrect himself twice after being slain. Uh, this is after he has turned into a vampire originally that he's raised uh, raised himself twice. The second time, he wasn't; ma- they didn't manage to actually rein him in in any way. Instead, he fled to a forest. I don't think it was the Forest of Lauren, but it might have been. It just seems unlikely that the Wood Elves would have allowed him to flee to the Forest of Lauren. I very much do not recall any such event happening. Yes, but he he did flee uh, flee to a nearby, like, dense, dense forest, and then just hasn't come out of there uh, since that time. But he was only beaten back by the then king and the Fae Enchantress, the Fae Enchantress being, like, the second-highest office in Bretonia, since she's the one who actually picks the new king whenever the old one abdicates or dies. There's no... You don't inherit the throne in Bretonia. It is the most worthy of the Grail Knights that get uh, gets to uh, sit on that throne. I don't know. Should we? I suppose we should explain the Fae Enchantress. Fae Enchantress? Yes. Uh, sure. I mean, the Fae Enchantress can be simply explained as... Uh, the um, uh, let's see, uh, moral guider of um, the Bretonian kingdom. 
and sort of the highest ranking uh, priest in a way. Yeah. Yeah. Generally, all the Bretonian knights strictly follow the belief in uh, the Lady of the Lake, mm. who they serve. And the Fey Enchantress would, in that case, be the high priest of this uh, order mm. of or theology. Yeah. In a way. And current Fey Enchantress is uh, Morgiana Le Fey. Not Morgana. No, no. Morgiana Le Fey. Take that as you will. They have this very... I mean, this very stereotypical chivalric... Uh, culture where the nobility uh, is entirely composed of knights as long as they're men and if and if they're women well there are few women knights but for the uh, for the larger part of what they do they either become I, I won't I don't like to call it nuns but that is essentially what they do they are sent the, the female children of noblemen are sent away to study Alongside the other, the uh, the other girls who are eventually being selected between in order to name a new fey enchantress in various schools around the provinces of Bretonia. The fey enchantress is of course uh, of course chosen by the Lady of the Lake, just like how Grail Knights are being chosen by her in the sense that she sends a vision of the Green Knight to show them that they have succeeded. But exactly how this process works is never really mentioned. It's just that there are these schools where girls are sent, and then that's where they learn how to function in Bretonian society. As for the peasantry... Peasants or peasants? Pretty much, yeah. If you're a peasant, you don't really do anything. Yeah, they are... You, If you are a peasant in Bretonia, you are the unrefined rabble that uh, litter the streets. Yeah. <laughs> and work the farms. Mm. Very reminiscent of uh, feudal Europe, generally, actually. So, um, let's see, did we mention that the Grey Knights themselves are champions of the Lady of the Lake? We sort of did, but I suppose we could, it could bear mention again. Uh, well, now it's been directly mentioned. Hmm. It, they are chosen champions of the Lady, hmm. being the Lady of the Lake, and... Um, Generally, the Grey Knights carry on their in a near fanatical belief for whatever their visions tell them. Mm. Oh yeah, and finally, just like the Griffin is the emblem of the Empire, and the Emperor Karl Franz is flying around on one when he uh, he goes into battle. The Pegasus. Is emblematic of Bretonia, although it is not the king necessarily that rides around on the Pegasus, but rather they have their own little aerial cavalry with a few Pegasus riders. But I suppose it makes sense. If, if Bretonians wanted to go into the air, they couldn't really start riding something other than a horse, so they needed a horse with wings. Definitely, of course. Yes. I mean, a griffin won't do. No, no. Those aren't horses. Exactly. Dare they not be now, horses? Let's see. Do you know? Do, do you actually know the the difference between the questing knights and the grail knights? 
because the difference is very small. Well, the qu- uh, questionnaire is the one that uh, that are out on the search for the Grail, and the Grail Knights are essentially mm-hmm. the ones that have found it, or at least have been shown the vision of the Green Knight. As the- well, they have drunk from the Grail. Yes, specifically, they have drunk from the Holy Grail, and so they become Grail Knights. Whereas questing knights are the scrubs who are still looking. <laughs> mm. <laughs> well, yeah, I suppose you could say that, yeah. Uh, they are questing knights the moment they set out, so they, they might not exactly still be looking. They could also just have started. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's all there is to the Bretonians, really. Well, uh, they, 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 we could go into further detail about the war between the Red Duke, the vampiric, uh, the vampiric knight well, I mentioned uh, earlier, and the, the then king of Bretonia, because they were brothers. Of course, they were brothers. Um, but that. Otherwise, we could just leave it at saying that um, the undead cavalry, the uh, what? What do they call? They call the blood uh, blood knights. Blood knights. Yes. The blood knights of Bretonian knights, or were. In life, hmm. now, yeah, th- I think uh, that's that's where we will stop talking about Bretonia for now. <laughs> we we'll stop talking about horses. Yeah, food horses. Right, other human nations. Other human nations. Yes. You mean there's more than Bretonia in the empire? Yes, it's insane, isn't it? And Araby. Yeah. We mentioned Araby. Yeah. So, Araby is a thing. Araby is indeed a thing. <laughs> we previously mentioned uh, Nippon as well, which is Japan. Cafe. Cafe, which is China. Yeah. Then there's uh, Tilea, Italy. Oh yeah, Italy. Yeah. Tilea. Yes, and Estalia, <laughs> which is yeah Spain. It's a, well, Spain and Portugal in one. Not, Beautiful. Not to mention that they also have uh, like further uh, further down. We've uh, in for our story lessons uh, early on in the episode, or not necessarily early on, but early enough. Uh, we also talked about Nehekara, which was this ancient. Uh, Egyptian-inspired uh, desert uh, kingdom. Well, uh, but they are all dead. They are all dead now, but they did exist at one point, and that has become... Uh, oh, sorry. There's also a region called Borderlands, which is the area that lies between the old... Uh, the Like, the European part of the, world, uh, of the old world and the African part of the old world. Oh, sorry. Not nice. the border, Borderlands. It's called the Border Princes, because it is ruled by quite literally border princes which are like bandit lords just so happen to wield enough influence in a given area over the banditry to refer to themselves as nobility without anyone saying anything to against it. Pretty much. Yeah. At one point it was ruled over by a vampire. Uh, but that... Well, most of everything has been ruled by a vampire at least once. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, they're pretty darn close by now. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Damn vampires yeah. everywhere! Uh, let's see. It. Estalia is mostly known for its traders and its mercenaries. The same for Tilea, really. And, and also, 
and also uh, explorations into the jungles of Lustria, also known, known as South America, mm. which end terribly because lizardmen do not like visitors. They really don't. No. They really don't. <laughs> not to mention... Uh, oh, uh, did I mention that there will uh, there is an actual vampire uh, uh, that prowl... a vampire pirate that prowls the coastline yeah. of L- uh, Lustria and it's to the point where the area has been called the Vampire Coast now. Yes. That's a thing. That is indeed. And uh, it's uh, usually... You know you're on the Vampire Coast when you see all these shambling dead sailors. Yeah. <laughs> or if you see, you know, ships that uh, look like they've been uh, dragged from the bottom of the sea and shouldn't even be able, uh, be able to sail. Yeah, that's also... But they still do. That's, uh, that's, uh, that's also the vampire, uh, uh, vampire Pirates fleet. Take that as you will. Well, there's always... There, there has to be some undead well, crew and ships somewhere in the fantasy world, so why not there? I suppose you're right. <laughs> I mean, after all, it's Warhammer. It's, it's one of the settings which both thrive in and enforces the um, generic fantasy setting. Mm, mm. Very true. With its own quirks. Yeah. A lot of the tropes that we know and love uh, from fantasy settings have started in Warhammer. They might have been inspired by things you found in Dungeons and Dragons, but Warhammer was there first. Along other, uh, about other things. If it wasn't there first, mm. it generally helped with enforcing mm. it as standard. Yeah. <laughs> like, like super powered vampires. Vampires weren't always inhumanely strong. They were, of course, stronger than the average human, but not to the point where, where, where it was a superpower and they were basically super, a superman just, you know, without absorbing yellow sunlight, but rather hiding from it. More absorbing red blood. Yeah. <laughs> and they couldn't fly for the most part. There are few that can. Yeah. Anyway. Well, they don't really fly in Warhammer either. No, that's what I mean. They, 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 yeah. a, a few of them sort of can, but otherwise they need other creatures to fly them around. Yeah, typically. Like under the dragons. Mm. Yeah, if you're an aircraft. <laughs> well, as you can see, the, or here rather. There's not much else on the other human nations. We know their names, we know what they're mostly known for. We know their locations. But that Well, we know that Café has its uh, dragon emperors. Yes, which we also talked about last time. Yeah, we did. Mm. We touched upon them. A fair bit, I think. Yeah. Essentially, dragon emperors are in a immortal in some fashion, which usually implies undeath. And they ruled over Cathay for a very long time. Very long time. Uh, yeah, they they started ruling over Cathay um, more or less. Let's see, what was it? It was, I think it was twenty thousand years before the coming of Sigma. Yeah, <laughs> something such. Sounds about right. And then after, before the end times, it's like three thousand years of. Sigmar's empire hmm. existing and imperial calendar. <laughs> so, uh, up until the point where the world literally explodes, the dragon emperors had at least been ruling for 20,000 years. Hmm. Though it was not the same. 
emperor all time. Mm. There were a few different, like five or so. Uh, okay, <laughs> yes. But nonetheless, they, uh, they they were referred to as the immortal heir, immortal dragon emperor, and we know for a fact that at least two of them were undead. Yeah. That's not to say that uh, they don't have any kind of shenanigans where you, cr- you don some certain piece of equipment and then the soul of your predecessor literally possesses you. Mm, oh yes, that... Because that's a thing that happens in Warhammer. And it happens a lot. Yeah, it does. <laughs> but, uh, there are a lot of magical armors that possess you. Mm. And <laughs> uh, funnily enough, a lot of magical armors that possess you which function as like regal or regalia, rather, as a way to uh, to, to show off your station. Mm-hmm. Especially among the chaos-worshipping tribes. Indeed, but the chaos-worshipping tribes are excused because they intermingle with uh, very uh, literal manifestations of human thought. Yeah. <laughs> and magic. They, really I, they, they are very much excused. End times. We've mentioned it a ton of times. End times. But we haven't really oh, talked about end what times. it is. Finally, we get there. We get to the apocalypse. Woo! Apocalypse, you say? <laughs> Tell me more. I say apocalypse. Woo! I say, we, we can start at the beginning of the end times. One of the first signs being the vermin tide. The vermin tide. Which the Vermintide has its own <laughs> game now, I believe. But that's not what we were talking about. No, no. But for people who might be interested in learning more about the Vermintide, I believe there is a game out that could be played and learn a bit more about it. Uh, I, I question. I, I, I hold my reservation as to how accurate the uh, lore depictions in the Vermintide would be. But uh, sure. I mean, to, to be fair, Warhammer lore in its individual ponds is very loose anyway. Mm-hmm. So that's it. Yeah. Right. Uh, the very beginning is well uh, when uh, the twin chainsaw comet uh, is seen once again. Yes. Uh, the twin tail comet, uh, comet also being the herald of Sigmar. And. And the horned rat. And the horned rat, yes, uh, because uh, in its wake it always leaves meteors of warpstone. And when it when it uh, when it ran past this time, suddenly the uh, portals uh, that we've talked about uh, were well the barriers that were on uh, those portals sort of disappeared, and demons came out of both poles in massive numbers. Of course, seeing as that means that Nurgle's forces are now free to roam the world as they please, that also means the various plagues and diseases are now just travelling across the world with insane speed. As a bit of a refresher, the portals mentioned were created after the first incursion, the Chaos Incursion, Mm. known as that very name. After that was stopped by... uh, High elf uh, sorcerers or wizards creating a portal or a vortex that sucked magical energies away. Because the portals on the poles to the chaos realm spilled magic into the world. 
So you had these vacuum vortex things that just sucked it back up, <laughs> so it couldn't spill any further into the world. Damn good vacuums. Damn good vacuums. Damn good vacuums. They they also lasted for like thirty thousand years. Yeah. So damn good vacuums. That's a good life expectancy. Yes, yes it is. But then they were gone. Poof. Poof. <laughs> And it just sort of <laughs> coincided with uh, the fellow Archeon, whom we've mentioned a few times, uh, just today. I can't remember whether mm-hmm. we mentioned him last time. We probably did. Uh, we probably did a few times. Yes. Archeon <laughs> is the ever-chosen of Chaos, The uh, or during the end times, the current ever-chosen of Chaos, I should say. And he al- He's always the lord of the end times, either way. Yes. Lord of the end times. He has managed to collect six chaos artifacts that are treasures of chaos and it got it gets crowned as the new ever chosen because of this and that means he starts collecting the mortal armies of chaos and to begin you know waging war on everything else <laughs> with a few exceptions Indeed. with a few exceptions like uh, dark elves which we mentioned when we talked about uh, chaos before they actually help out Archeon's forces against the High Elves. And the Skaven also help out the Chaos forces against Dwarves. So there's a bit there. We have the Beastmen, of course, friendly as lots. Mm. Generally, they were unorganized prior to the end times. Yeah. But now they rallied under the common banner of Chaos. More so than they had before. Mm. So that's a thing. And and while, all, while this is happening, there's also... Uh, there's also all sorts of ho- uh, t- uh, stuff happening to the, well, to, uh, to the uh, various leaders of the world because now this whole thing is drawing to, uh, drawing to a close, so they need to set things in motion, which means that Manfred von Karstein, one of the most notorious vampires uh, of uh, Sylvania, in the uh, which was the vampiric province of the empire, returns and takes control of the as uh, said. Uh, province, he has kidnapped the daughter of the current Phoenix King. <laughs> while he also, uh, while he also uh, once again start, uh, almost started a war between the Hives and the Dwarves because the Dwarves were, uh, were protecting her, or uh, the, the, while uh, while she was going to some sort of peace gathering between the Dwarves and the Hives, when he swooped in and took her captive. So there's that. Uh, we see, I believe it's. Um... We we do, oh yeah in, during the end times. I know that we see uh, the chaos god Slanish literally being kidnapped by two humans. <laughs> I thought that, I thought that was uh, during the age of Sigmar. Uh, no, that is during the end times. Oh. If I don't misrecall completely. Anyway, yeah, like a few of the other human nations we mentioned before were completely overrun by Skaven. Yeah, and the way this is written during uh, the Vermin Tide, yes, the way this is written <laughs> uh, in the law books is that it uh, that the countries were literally, literally consumed by the Skaven hordes. So there's that to consider. The High Queen of the Wood Elves, Ariel is infected with uh, with darkness by a goddess named Liliath. And uh, the, ogre, uh, the, the Oak of Ages, which is like the heart of the uh, Wood Elves Forest of Avaloran, 
begins to show signs of corruption, which then spreads to the rest of the woods. Yes, and then all the trees feel bad. Yeah. <laughs> More or less. Pretty much. I, I, I'll admit right now that the, the end times lore is actually pretty... It's it's very elaborate, but it's very convoluted. Yes, we have a ton of small events that lead up to the larger events and or take place at the same yeah. time, in order to uh, simultaneously, uh, in order to sort of uh, sort of have every single race involved in this event because it is the apocalypse. So it's something everyone is going to want to partake in as well. Indeed. Um, and oh yes, it's some sort of weird wrap up for the fantasy. As it was, yeah. Worm Fantasy Vassals game. We also have, uh, since I mentioned Manfred von Karstein, I figured that I should actually, yeah. I should probably tell a bit more about his role in this because he pops up and uh, partakes in a lot of things during the uh, end times. He starts out by kidnapping the, yeah, the daughter of uh, the Ever or the Phoenix King. Then he recovers the fell blade, which was the weapon with which uh, we uh, we talked about last time that the Skaven forged for the captive Al uh, Al who who then slew Nagash with it. Which means that the fell blade was now and uh, now sort uh, sort of doused in Nagash's essence. Mm, delicious. Yes. <laughs> and yeah, he he retrieves he retrieves that blade from a Skaven lair after they've overrun all of the rest because there's no there's not really any Skaven left to protect the lairs while they're all out consuming <laughs> countries. Uh, no, he then begins a ritual in order to resurrect uh, Nagash himself, which needs apparently a pure female creature. Or at least a, fe- a pure creature, which just happens to be female, because we all know men aren't pure in any sense of the world. Uh, word, and we not in fantasy settings. Not in fantasy settings, no. And then the, uh, the, the only uh, rich, the ritual blade that was then that was used to kill him originally, turning him from the great necromancer yeah. into the great lich. Indeed, or more, more, more likely, turning him from the hand on the Adams family to actually the great lich. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. Because previously he had been a severed hand mm. for hundreds of years. Quite. Still being able to work his magic somehow. Somehow. <laughs> Nobody knows how a magic man works. Mm. Oh yes. After Nagash is then resurrected, he starts re- uh, resurrecting a ton of powerful undead creatures that had otherwise been killed a long time ago, uh, like the uh, like the various uh, vampires that started the uh, the bloodlines. We have Vlad uh, von Karstein, we have Valak Harkon, we have um, uh, we have the Mortarks, we have Zacharias, which uh, admittedly he wasn't the uh, the one who started the Necrot bloodline, but he was the he was the first pupil. No, he was one of the first. Yeah. So, uh, th- th- there's uh, he, in general, suddenly just becomes completely useless to have killed anything because he can resurrect it even if it was undead beforehand. <sighs> he just do anything. Yeah. He's literally undead Jesus now. Yep. <laughs> so not funny at all. No, not very. With the with the Vermintide nearing an end, the 
Roman lords appear as the yes. uh, as the sign that now the horned rat is slowly drawing closer. And as this Indeed. this happens, the champion of Nurgle, called the Glotkin, which is this great, disgusting creature, for, uh, to be honest, is the heir uh, then... Well, a lot of Nurgle creatures are disgusting. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, yeah. <coughs> uh, he... That is his uh, forte, Yes, I would say. But, uh, he, but he's also called down until the uh, mortal coil and starts uh, spreading more corruption to the point where several gods are actually infected by Nurgle. Mm. Yeah. Uh, but, but due to uh, his powers being increased by the appearance of uh, Glotkin. Indeed. Oh, there's so many small events that I want. I kind of want to tell all of them, but it's just not going to sit well with the amount of time we have for this. We've already no, spent too much won't. time. <laughs> have we? Yes. I think we've spent a nice amount of time talking about some important details for the Warhammer. Yes. Uh, setting. Oh yes, yes. Do, do you do you think we have any room for the actual name of this podcast, though? Like implications. Of course we do. <laughs> we always have. Uh, of course uh, we do. Place for uh, plenty of indu- uh, implications. All right. Well, uh, I, then I just mentioned my favorite implication that I always liked, being that the, the Lady of the Lake is a forest spirit from Athaloran, mm. or a wood elf, which are also spirits. By now. Yeah. <laughs> so that's the thing. I mean, one of one of the specific spirits is Dritcha, the uh, leader of the Dryads, mm. more or less. And she actually, so, uh, she actually actively goes to war against the Dark Elves during the end times. Mm-hmm. Her and the uh, Dryads. Well, Dritcha does a lot of things. She does a lot of things. She also rebels against the Wood Elves. Of course. Ah. But uh, Drucha, uh, curiously enough, is one of the forest spirits who have always been opposed to the Wood Elves. Mm. Because the Wood Elves imply that anyone can uh, become part of the forest, not just original creatures of the forest and fae that live within, mm. but outsiders. She's kind of passive aggressive and racist, like that. She does not like strangers. <laughs> And I certainly never liked the Buddhas. I think we should uh, probably, before we go into further things, we should probably end the End Times to some degree. The End Times end with a battle for Altdorf, the capital of the Empire, in mm. which the three major armies of the collected, uh, of collected Chaos Forces, which include the Glotkin, among other things, uh, converge on the air, this uh, thing, and they are... Uh, the Empire is aided by uh, King Leon Kerr's uh, forces from Bretonia. Uh, but yeah. it doesn't really help much as soon the entire city is put to, uh, to the flame. And it does, it does help, though, in some cases, because Vlad von Karstein is kill, uh, is, uh, manages to kill a few champions of chaos because you know now that now that they 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 basically won the fight for uh, for Altdorf 
now the undead and chaos don't like each other anymore. So, yeah. uh, <laughs> it, it, and the champion of Nurgle in this case, uh, case uh, is so deceased that when Lad drinks his bl- uh, blood, he becomes deceased in spite of being undead and not really prone to disease. <laughs> um, well, this is. He's not prone to mortal diseases. Yes, true. True. But this is a very magical disease. Yeah. Nonetheless. So I think it's. Nonetheless. It's an exception to the rule. Yeah. Everything, everything just sort of crumples, and eventually Karl Franz, the Emperor of, Ma- uh, of the, the uh, Empire of Man, dies. But since everything is on fire, he's somehow reborn from the fire, and <laughs> and but in this process, there's this bright shining light which just destroys all of the forces of chaos in the vicinity, and yeah. suddenly, Sigma is reborn in the dead body of Karl Franz, and he has become the incarnate of the heavens. <laughs> when this all happens, another goddess manages to reach some of the go- uh, human gods that have otherwise been affected by Nurgle's uh, uh, Nurgle's presence, and uh, heals these gods, which then rids the empire of the heavy miasma he has otherwise uh, cast over the country, and things start becoming a bit more secure, to a degree. Let's not. Let, let's. Not talk about how eventually Malekith becomes the Eternity King of the allied elven races. Malekin, the king of the Dark Elves, becomes the king of the united elven races. The Witch King. The Witch King becomes the Eternity King. Indeed. By, by it's a thing. Yes, <laughs> that happens. And he does this by marrying the uh, the current Ever Queen, and apparently the current Phoenix King dies at some point. But I haven't been able to find ex- out exactly when it is. Mm, I I can't say I know either. As I mentioned, I think the end times lore is spotty and convoluted at best. Mm. So I I have a really hard time just pinning it. Yeah. It's a bit iffy after the whole, uh, especially after the uh, that the stuff with Altdorf is over, because e- yeah. e- even th- uh, even though uh, even though all of uh, all of the chaos forces are eliminated by K- uh, Sigma being reborn, <laughs> the invasion of yep. the Empire still continues, and Altdorf is considered to be secured by chaos. I I, I don't know yep. how quite how that works, but still, yeah. No, I don't think anyone knows, mm. really. It's a weird thing. Yes. It just kind of happens. Because reasons. Eventually everything collapses, and Sigma, being the hero man god that he is, sort of decides, you know, this whole thing where everyone kills everyone and everyone goes to battle with anyone, that doesn't work anymore. That's not No, no I'll just snap my fingers and now everything is just peaceful. And for now. Yeah, for now. <laughs> until the point where he grows... I don't like battle, now we peace. Yeah. Until the point peace where he grows voice. bored and he's like, okay, we, we, I would like a bit of conflict. I would like to fight chaos again. Yeah. Thanks. Mm. <laughs> and I'm not going to go into detail about how the Age of Sigma actually comes about, because it's it's so 
far out. It sounds like bad fan fiction whenever I think about it. <laughs> uh, oh yeah, it does. It really does. So, that's it. Then, more law implications. I do like the implication that Sigma might be either the uh, either the Emperor of Man or himself in Warhammer 40k, or at least one of the Primarchs as, uh, that has uh, that has accidentally traveled through the warp to the timeline in which Warhammer Fantasy takes place. Yeah, because it's generally implied that the Warhammer Fantasy battle world, mm. the old world as it is, mm. is a planet within uh, a cosmic area called the Eye of the Warp, mm. which is a large space portal into the realm of chaos, the warp as it is known in Warhammer 40k. One of the planets there. Mm. In the middle of everything. In the middle of everything. Like, we, we can compare the Eye of the Warp to the uh, center of the Milky Way. Yeah. It, yeah. As to how fucked up it is. Mm. <laughs> Except, replace black holes with chaos portals. Yeah. <laughs> and, of course, you know, just inst- instead of random space debris and uh, junk, demons. Demons everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> More demons. Apply demons to face. Yeah. <laughs> um. That's more or less it. I mean, even so, the old ones who um, uh, terraformed the world and created it are mentioned explicitly in the Warhammer 4K setting mm. as being an old, ancient, and powerful race that uh, created the Eldar, also known as elves in space. Space elves! Also orcs, which do end up, or have always existed on the Warhammer Fantasy Battleworld for some reason, Mm. but they were specifically created by the old ones in the Warhammer 40k setting. Yeah. Which would imply that at some point, the um, because uh, the greenskins, the orcs, are created as a countermeasure to a war against another race which is a 40k race, mm. which we won't talk about right now. No. Uh, because they needed something to fight them endlessly, forever, as well as the coming warp demons. Something that was um, not affected by the warp, like the Eldar, mm. who are very magical, because space elves, but the orcs are not. They are... Uh, Yes, they use their manifested will to cast magic. They use this psychic field that just exists all around them and grow stronger the more, uh, more of them there are. So, to the point yeah. where if they and believe the more something... they believe in yeah. something, <laughs> the more they believe something, the likelier it will happen. Yeah. I mean, or orc weaponry, orc rifles, because this is 40k we're talking about right now, so it's sci-fi. Mm. Orc weapons are literally empty. But the orcs believe that they will shoot with them, so they do. <laughs> they fire bullets Not to mention from an empty box. They are, they are mechanically unable to shoot for the most part. So even if they had yeah, bullets, they, they wouldn't be able to shoot with them. Well, they wouldn't be able to hit with them. The, and, yes. and yeah, the actual weaponry is... Not <laughs> has no function. Mm. Uh, then there's stuff like uh, such as uh, red ones go faster, 
which is uh, they believe that if they paint something red, then it will be faster. And because they believe in that, then st- things that are red go faster. Which is also reflected in the yeah. rule, uh, rule sets for uh, Space Orcs, by the way. For those who might not know that. I know, implications. Yes. Uh, because the Orcs were created by the Old Ones to combat these threats, mm. uh, and because the Orcs are, well, they are Orcs, they are fungus generally people. prone to... Uh, yeah, they are fungus people, but they are generally... Prone to mayhem and destruction, mm. you, you'd assume that once the purpose was done, the old ones would like uh, them gone, mm. because they don't really fit into what the old ones want to happen. Which also fits into why the Greenskins were uh, attempted to be purged from the Warhammer Fantasy world, mm. but failed uh. because it's orcs. You don't get rid of orcs so easily. It's really hard to get rid of fungus. Yes, it is. That's not something. I mean, when an orc dies, it it decomposes and releases a myriad spores. Yeah. That each individual spore becomes a new orc. <laughs> uh, a, a few other implications when talking about chaos gods is that they are more chaos gods than the four we know of, and there are t- two names that have been mentioned uh, in fantasy and. And 40k, uh, which are Melal and Malice, but both of them is which are the same. Which are the same because they both have the same domains, which is antagonism basically. So they actively work against the other chaos gods simply because that is what they do. Uh, well, more more so, Malal is uh, the personification of chaos by being the antithesis of chaos. Mm. So he hates chaos. He does also hates everything else, but he hates chaos. He hates chaos. He mostly he hates chaos a lot. Mm. <laughs> chaos is his enemy, very much. Of course, who wouldn't want to be enemies with chaos? Yes, because chaos doesn't have enough paradoxes, so it has a god which is literally a paradox, <laughs> as it should be. Indeed, uh, other chaos gods include. Um, Bel Akor, who is no longer a Chaos God, but was once a Minor God, is right now only a demon, a greater demon, of himself. And he also has worked as a sort of... He, he's previously had, like uh, not not necessarily a, a title like that, but he's been like the, uh, the kind of demon that was used to choose the next ever chosen. Uh, to be like the guide, he act- actively for them um, promotes a search for yes. him. Yes, so, uh, so he's he's involved in that process, which uh, which clearly reveals that, in spite of the fact that he's now a greater demon rather than a minor god, a chaos god, that he's still trusted with a certain amount of of, of power uh, for the not for so the much game. trusted as he has that kind of influence. Yes. Um, but I, well, I, I, is I, actually I, I, a prominent character within um, fantasy and uh, 4K as well. Mm. Mostly the older lore, generally. Mm. There's a few other gods who are also antithesis to chaos by representing stuff like order. <laughs> yeah. uh, That's a thing. And then there's uh, then there's uh, like uh, the uh, gods of 
agnosticism and atheism where, you know, the chaos gods don't necessarily thrive off of faith of their followers, but without faith in the chaos gods, they don't really have any influence if you don't believe they actually exist. Well, without faith, they're sort of like Santa. Like, if you don't believe in him, he doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. So, uh, (laughs) therefore... If no one one is there to believe in the Chaos Gods, they cease existing. Therefore, Because they are a manifestation of faith and uh, human nature. Or mortal creatures, nature, sentient Mm. beings. More or less. Perverse images. There was also, Mm. uh, in... Admittedly, this is Age of Sigma, despite the fact that I said I wouldn't talk too much about it. But there are implications in Age of Sigma that the old ones essentially lost connection to either their bodies or something, and some of their minds were left behind in the remaining lizard men leaders. Because the, f- the, the uh, among other things, yes, but the, we also have exceptions like the uh, skink prophet, whose name I can't recall right now. Tehenui. Yeah, that might be him, uh, the one that Tehenui the, the white, uh, the, the white uh, uh, chameleon skink, I believe. Oh no, that 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 guy is uh, uh, what what what's his? Oh, um, I know I know who he is. Yeah. He's a um, chameleon skink who um, by doing some weird thing just ended up within the realm of chaos and then he was there for a while and came back survived because he's so so amazing at camouflage and he could hide from chaos demons and then he came back and became a sort of prophet <laughs> kind of uh, character yes because he had seen chaos yeah. uh, anyway <laughs> uh, the few lizard men that are in age of sigma and they're very few but they are of course part of sigma's army of armies of order uh, are shown to have a, a an increased intellect and an understanding of like creation magic and how to how to essentially terraform the current world and it's said that sigma did not grant them that which would mean it would already have well, existed for, uh, for them and these are uh, these are not slan and not skinks they are for the most part Soros warriors who are supposed to be the stupid ones yeah so that's a thing that's a thing <laughs> Uh, in Age of Sigma, it's worth mentioning that the Lizardmen are no longer called the Lizardmen, no. but they are just renamed into the Seraphon mm. as well. In general, Age of Sigma is spread into chaos and order. Also, yep. uh, and also death and destruction. Because undead. Yeah, undead being the realm of death and destruction being greenskins. Which means that every, sing- yep. every single race that wasn't allied to chaos, wasn't undead, and wasn't greenskins. Has now fallen under the uh, ba- uh, banner of order. This includes the dark elves, and it includes to some degree the ogres. Not entirely, because some ogre substitutes have been added to the destruction side as well. Most of the ogres are on the destruction side. Mm, but not all. Actually. No, not all. So we have that. Uh, Death. Age of Sigma lore, though. Uh, There's not much lore on it. You have these weird dimensional spheres of existence where different nations and factions reside. But other than that, you don't have much to go on, really. The only thing we know is eventually this uh, this uh, Age of Peace that Sigma managed to create uh, was evaded by chaos when... Uh, as I recall, 
this is what I've read, when these two mortals that we talked about earlier kidnapped Slanesh. Because then, mm. because then they broke something in the barrier that they, that made it impossible for uh, Chaos to actually get to these new lands to breach. And then it became the Age of Chaos. And then they managed to fight Chaos back. And then it became the Age of Sigma. Ah, that might be it. Mm. I could have, I could have misremembered. To be fair, yeah, but, it's uh, fair. It's fair. I, yeah. I can also have mis- uh, misread this part. So there, there's, there's always a chance of error. Or in, uh, let's call it convoluted. As far as I know, anyway, there's no roleplay games set within Age of Sigma. Mm. There are plenty for the old world, mm. which include Mordheim for one. Mordheim is fun. Uh, Mordheim is Mord- my personal Mordheim favorite is a, little game. Mordheim is a um, is set in a city which was um, struck by a warpstone comet after the uh, first appearance of the Twin Tail Comet. The Twin Tail Comet, which has many meanings, it does. Including the coming of Sigma, it does. It does. The heralding of the Horned Rats and the uh, visage of the Lizardman God Sotak, no, Sotek, the God of Serpents. Mm. But that, anyway, in Mordheim, you can play as one of several factions who are on a mission to collect the the shards of these warpstone meteorites that have landed in this city, uh, and bring them away for further analysis, while also, you know, eliminating any potential threats that could arise from this great mass of warpstone in one place. And mm. uh, of course, bringing back any riches or uh, relics that they can find in the city. Indeed. Final goal is also to eliminate the competition, but that's more personal than what they've gotten up orders from their leaders. Definitely. And uh, Mordheim is as much a uh, tabletop war game as it is um, a role-playing game. Mm. You're very much encouraged in Mordheim to... Um, Establish a background story and name and personality for your characters because your characters are very much individuals in this game. Mm. And ro- as opposed to the rest of Warhammer, where they are nameless soldier number 57. Apart from the, the, the hero units, yes, nameless soldier number 41. And you also don't have like, but yeah. you don't have like platoons uh, as such in more time. Instead, you oh, uh, you have a skirmish. You, you have a skirmish squad, <laughs> uh, which means you, that I believe the largest you, uh, the largest squads you could play with, unless you played with custom rules, were like fifteen units, and that was if you had. Uh, Actually, I think I, I think the Skaven are one of those few that are allowed to have twenty. Mm, that is quite possible, but where uh, where you uh, you would then have. Perhaps three units of those fifteen would be more or less identical uh, in, ter- uh, in terms of f- how, how you accessorize them to make them different. But otherwise, you would ha- have like for the dogs of war, which were the mercenaries from various human countries, including the empire, that were sort of put together along with a few ogres, had ogres, otherwise mm-hmm. various humans that they had they had the man at arms peasant from Bretonia with which with a pitchfork and like not even real armor as such just a a, hel- a pot instead of a helmet and then you had the trained soldier with full imperial uh, lieutenant's regalia uh, and 
then you had like Chilean mercenaries equipped with rapiers. Stuff like that. Whereas if we go over to the, uh, oh, what's that called? The Carnival of Lunatics or something like that, which is uh, like the Chaos Worshippers that, that decided to go through here. Which, in fairness, are mostly made of survivors of the meteor uh, crash who then turned to the worship of Chaos because they saw this as a sign of the Chaos God's invasion of the realm and wanted to, you know, be, on, be in good standing. Indeed. Well, the ones that survived. Yeah, the ones that survived. Plus, uh, plus, a lot of them had not probably begun to mutate before they even turned to Chaos Worship, simply because they'd been exposed to Warpstone in that amount. Mm-hmm. Which made it sort of... It didn't probably make the decision to switch to Chaos Worship a bit easier. To, like, suddenly wake up and have a giant knife instead of a right arm. A giant crab claw. Or giant crab claw. There's also... The... Or may- maybe you wake up and now you, now you are a part of your wife. Uh, Literally, <laughs> or wake up and uh, so- <laughs> suddenly it feels like your eyes are itching, but you start scra- uh, you start uh, uh, rubbing uh, rubbing your stomach instead of, uh, instead of your head, and then you lift up your shirt, and suddenly there's just eyes all over your stomach. Yeah, <laughs> that's also a thing that uh, uh, happens. Yeah, chaos, chaos, silly chaos. Um, let's see here. Thinking about it, one of the other implications: what th- there's there's a lot of things implied. Like, uh, as I've mentioned, Warhammer law in its individual parts is very loose. So there's lots of rooms for implications and speculations. Mostly speculations. As such. But, um, let's see. I was thinking of something in particular. Uh, but I have lost it. I have forgot that. Do you have any more implications that you would like to mention? Gork and Mork. Mr. M- Gork and Mork. The Orc. Gork and Mork. The Orc yes. gods. <laughs> they, they're not quite defined because they actually seem to have uh, to represent some sort of higher intelligence uh, for the Orcs, uh, a sort of purpose that they don't quite understand themselves. Which could either imply that Gork and Mork are actual uh, old ones, the ones that might have created the Orcs in the first place in order to fight chaos, or very possible, or Gork and Mork, given the propensity for orcs to just, you know, follow anyone who's stronger uh, stronger than themselves. Uh, perhaps they were just the first two, like, chieftains of collected orc hordes. Or they might e- not even have been orcs, but just the first two, like, strongest individuals that the orcs had encountered and therefore allied with. Mm-hmm. So the, Definitely. It, it, so the, it leaves up a lot of possibilities for what Gork and Mork might be. My per- own... Per- all, all, that, all that matters is that uh, Gork and Mork are much the same but different. Mm. <laughs> I, 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 pardon me if I get this wrong, but Gork is the one who will hit you hard but sneakily, and Mork is the one who will hit you sneakily but hard. <laughs> uh, that could be true. I mean, essentially, one is supposed to be an orc, the other is supposed to be a goblin. Yeah, <laughs> that that that's that's the main takeaway I've always but, had. <laughs> yes, but that, that that's that's the um, general uh, thing about Gork and Mork is is that uh, one hits you hard but sneaky, mm. and the other hits you sneaky but hard. <laughs> yeah, 
it's a thing. It's a thing that happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but uh, more important, more importantly, they just uh, they just uh, they just want to bash in the heads of some stunties. Yeah, they want to bash in the heads of them umis. Mm. I'm umis. We just want to have a fight. Kill the stunties. Stunties or dwarfs, though. Yes, and goblins and uh, and. Also, orcs for that matter. Greenskins fight more dwarves than they fight humies. Yeah, true. Can't even recall what they call elves. Anyway, that's not the point. I think this is a good time to wrap up for this follow-up episode. Fair enough. So that that would be all for uh, this episode. Yes. Question mark of law implications. <laughs> yeah. This time we actually got some lore implications involved uh, in the show. So far, it will also be the last episode of Warhammer Fantasy, unless, of course, you listeners would like to hear more about it. Uh, we could go into the specifics of yeah, the Red Duke or the or, or the Greenskins and what exactly Gork and Mork might be. Which one hits hard and stealthily, <laughs> and which one uh, which one hits uh, hits stealthily but hard? And which one is which? Yes. <laughs> Because whenever you encounter an idol to gork and mork, it's either an idol to gork or it's mork or it's possibly both. Yes. Because you don't know. They, they, who knows? They are the same, mm. sort of. But they are not the same. The same but different. So, I think that's it. So, ta-ta for now. Indeed. <laughs>